0: if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 31 and 32. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let me pray one more time and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to be here. And, I, and I, I thank you for the lyrics to that song. I love that song that we are to slay our sin by grace and grace alone. Lord, we have some sin-slaying to do today. As we push into this struggle, this sin struggle of bitterness, of settled anger, I pray that not only would we understand it, but that that we would slay that sin. That we would do it though in the context of Your grace. That we would understand that We need You to not only teach us a better way, help us understand our struggle, but we need Your strength, the strength of the Spirit to come and slay this sin that so easily entangles us. So Lord, I ask for Your grace today. Spirit, come and and fill this room and do the work that only You can do of, of giving us eyes to see, of giving us faith, helping us understand these things of giving us joy to desire Your way. Lord, some of us need some real conviction as a result of this passage. And so Spirit, convict us where we need conviction. But even in that conviction, Spirit, give us the encouragement to not be crushed by the shame of something, but give us the vision and the power to walk in a new way. Lord, I pray that I would not say anything how to step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. At the end of the day, more than anything, Walter White was a bitter man. Now, before I walk into my Breaking Bad illustration, let me give you some pastoral um, words of wisdom about the series. Number one, if you're a kid in here, and you're going to your parents, Pastor Mike referenced Breaking Bad, and I watched Breaking Bad, you don't need to watch Breaking Bad, okay? If you're a kid, just stay away from it. Number two, if you're like an older teenager, and you really want to watch Breaking Bad, parents, my recommendation is watch it with them, okay? Number three, I don't think this is one of those like binge-worthy shows, okay? At one point, I kind of binged a little bit of Breaking Bad, and there's just a heaviness and a darkness to that show. I, I You need to like... Just take it in in small chunks, okay? There's just, there's a heaviness about it. Okay, with my pastoral uh, words of wisdom for you aside, it is a great show, okay? It is consistently ranked as one of the greatest TV shows of all time, and I think that is absolutely true. You don't know Breaking Bad. It is about a, a high school chemistry teacher named Walter White who finds out that he has terminal cancer, okay? And as when he finds out this news, um, his, he realizes that he really hasn't set up his family well. If he were to pass away, he's not really leaving them much. And so his great plan is, is to take that chemistry knowledge that he has and start cooking meth. He starts making drugs, selling drugs, in order to leave his family some money, okay? I also don't recommend that plan, okay? So... Walter White breaks bad, if you will, in order to provide for his family, supposedly. As the show progresses, you really start to learn more about Walter White. And you understand that he's actually a brilliant chemist. In fact, you learn that when he was in grad school, he started dating a girl, and then they had a best friend, and the three of them together formed this company, and it now is this billion-dollar company. This this huge uh, corporation that they started. But then he's this high school chemistry teacher, but when uh, it gets out that he has terminal cancer, his two former partners uh, offer to help pay for his cancer treatment. Now, Walter White lies to his wife and says, yeah, 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 they're going to give us the money, they're going to help. But what in reality he does is he pays for his cancer treatment with his drug money. Now, as the story progresses, his ex-partner finds out what has happened. His wife calls her, thanks him for giving the money, and she's thinking, I'm not giving any money to this. And so what she does is she demands to speak to Walter. So his ex-partner, who we find out is is actually his ex-girlfriend, they go meet at a restaurant in order for her uh, to find out what's going on. She pushes him on why he lied to her. Now, in this scene, it's in the second season, it's in a, one of the episodes called Peekaboo, it's one. It is a, it's a throwaway scene that is just genius. So Walter tells her that he owes her an apology, but not an explanation. So he refuses to tell her how he's paying for his cancer treatments. He didn't want to tell her that in reality he's paying for his cancer treatments uh, with his drug money. And as, the, as she becomes more frustrated and he becomes more frustrated, you just see bitterness just all over his body. Deep inside of him is this rock of resentment, and it starts coming out on, on his face. And she, this actress does an amazing job in this scene. With, with, with tears in her eyes, and she is disappointed, she's confused, and she asks him a question. She says, what happened to you? Now that only escalates this conversation. Brian Cranston won four Emmys for playing the character of Walter White. And, and they're totally deserved. His response to that question is one of the greatest examples of acting that I've seen and the purest illustration of resentment that I've ever seen on screen. Deep in him is this rock of resentment. And at that question, it just spills out. His rock of resentment is, is that they cut him out of this company and he has been holding on to that all these years. And, and he then accuses her of cutting him out of the company. He goes on this rant of listing all of his virtues, all of his accomplishments, all of his research, and he accuses them of cheating him out of millions of dollars. But what is so sad about the scene is it becomes evident that there is, all of this is based on a total misunderstanding. That he, his perception of what has happened to him is totally not true. He's believing a lie. And he, all this bitterness, all this hard-heartedness has come from something that isn't even true. And again, with tears in her eyes, she tells him, I feel so sorry for you, Walt. And he grits his teeth. He cocks his head. And from the deep, hard root of bitterness in his soul, He says that dreaded word that Ralphie got his mouth washed out for. And that's how the scene ends. From that moment on, the audience understands that Walter White is not this innocent, honest, old chemistry teacher who's down on his luck. We understand now that Walter White is foolish and mean and prideful. His Bushido is bitterness. He is a bitter man. Today we're continuing our series titled Battling Bitterness. And my prayer for you in this series is that you would understand bitterness, but also that we would give you some tools to help you fight bitterness. What do you do when you have a rock of resentment in your soul? The reality is that embittering experiences happen to us. We all get dumped. We all get fired. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it isn't. Partners betray us, loved ones die too young. The world is a broken place filled with embittering experiences. And listen, if you're like past the preschool years, you know that to be true, right? And, and listen, the Bible is clear. as long as you're breathing air on this earth, there's more embittering experiences to come. Bitterness we've seen is defined as, as settled anger. It's anger that, that just sits there. And it happens when we become angry over those embittering experiences. Someone has cheated us. Someone's failed us. Someone has been angry at us or been mean to us. And we become angry over those situations. And then that anger just sits there. It starts over the brokenness of the world. And so there's actually a virtue in that. It's not necessarily wrong to be angry at the brokenness of the world. But you're at a crossroads of what do you do with it? The problem is when it becomes settled. You see, it's been said that bitterness is like drinking poison, believing it will harm the one who hurt you. In reality, bitterness is like this this big drum of, of a poisonous chemical just sitting on your chest and just leaking its poison into your soul. Bitterness is poison. It poisons your soul. Anger over the brokenness over the world has the potential to destroy your heart. Therefore, in order to avoid becoming like Walter White, we need solutions. We need solutions to the problem of anger. We need to know how to move forward from that anger and not just sit in it and let it build a rock of resentment in our heart. There's kind of four parts to this series. And each of them is a tool for how to battle bitterness. The first one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago was, was lament. Lament is this biblical idea that's primarily seen in the Psalms where, where someone is, is experiencing an embittering experience and they just lay it out in this honest, anguished way before the Lord. They lay their complaints. They grumble and complain. They lay their hurts before the Lord in honest, Uh, beautifully honest ways in the psalm. But before they hang up that prayer, there's a yet God moment where they turn. They don't just leave it there. Before they hang up, there's a a but God or a yet God moment where they confess their faith in God's promises and in God's person. Who He is. And at the end, all the lament psalms end in this, this hopeful crescendo of saying that even though the world is broken, even though I'm walking through this awful thing and it should not be this way, I still trust in the Lord. I still trust in His promises. That's lament. Last week we looked at forgiveness. Forgiveness is this uh, reality to where when someone sins against you and someone hurts you, they owe you something. And forgiveness is releasing them from that debt. When someone has sinned against you, there's a debt that, that you can now hold on to. You can get your pound of flesh on. But forgiveness is releasing them from that debt. Today we're going to look at putting away and next week we're going to look at trust. Okay, Ephesians 4.31. Put away, put bitterness away. Look with me at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness leads to wrathful angry hearts. And out of those wrathful, angry hearts come clamorous, slanderous words. Therefore, bitterness is to be put away. It's a heart issue. And connected to that heart, it becomes a word or a behavior issue. When we experience the brokenness of the world, we naturally become angry. So, When someone cheats us, we cry foul. When there's an injustice, we say that's wrong and we become angry. And that's not necessarily bad, okay? Anger is not necessarily in the category of something that is bad. For example, if you see someone calling another person by a racial slur, your, your instinct should be to become angry at that moment, okay? now and, and to be overly clear, if you were to watch a scene of two people, one person calling another person a racial slur, and that doesn't make you angry, you have another heart problem, okay? There's a sinful heart problem that's going on there that, that I'm just telling you that's a check engine light that you need to push into something. But, but if you see that, and maybe you experience that, it's not wrong that you become angry at that. The issue is, what do you do with that anger? So if you've been called this racial slur, and, and then that is just sitting in your soul and just festering on your heart, What do you do with that? See, what what he's saying here is if that just settles, if that remains unmoved, that's going to lead to bitterness. That's going to kill your soul. So if you've had that experience, if you say, man, I hate that person for calling me that. Man, I'm going to do all that I can to get my revenge. And in fact, everyone who's like them, they all hate me too because of this. And I hate all of them. Listen, if you get there, you're at this dangerous, bitter place that's going to destroy you. You're, you're drinking poison hoping it's going to harm them when in reality it's going to kill you. But again, there's a place for righteous anger. But it's just what do you do with it? If you let it settle, if you don't move forward from it, then it's going to make your heart bitter, wrathful, and angry. In verse 31, it is this negative list of what happens when anger settles on your heart. Now, verse 32 is this positive list of what you're supposed to replace it with. But the negative list, if you look at it again, it's actually divided kind of into two different categories. One of them is, delves, uh, deals delves with the heart, and one of them deals with words, okay? So from the heart come these words. But when we don't battle bitterness, it poisons our hearts. Our souls become this resentful rock. Our hearts become hardened. Rage uh, uh, wars inside of us. Our hearts uh, become animal-like. We, we turn into monsters, okay? And out of that, out of the condition of the heart, come these brutish words. Our words become unhinged and mean rather than thoughtful and kind. We're quick to criticize and tear down and we're slow to compliment or to build up. And when our hearts are bitter, our words are very negative. And further, bitterness carries this aroma with it, right? Like when I struggle with bitterness, my my heart is pungent. From that type of heart, uh, it has has come stinky, off-putting words rather than these encouraging, uplifting, life-giving words. Think about the words that you've spoken this week. What do those words tell about your heart? In poker, they have what they call a tell, right? A tell is where you kind of observe some sort of change in someone's behavior or their demeanor, where it kind of tells you something about their perception of the cards that they're holding. It's a tell. It becomes this clue to what they're holding. Listen, as you think about that question, you think about the words that you spoke this week. What clue is that to the condition of your heart? In other words, how would your best friend or your spouse or your parent or your children describe your words? Friends, if you're like me and you feel the burden of that honest question, like for most of us, it should just feel like a weight just dropped on you as you evaluate your words from this week. If that's you, if you're feeling that conviction, God, through Ephesians 4, is telling you to put away bitterness. What he's saying here is to take it off, remove it, kill it, battle against it, distance yourself from it, move away from it. Listen, the the first step of change is always realizing you need to change. Maybe that's what that verse is doing. Maybe it's just this bomb that just got dropped on you, and you're saying, I didn't even think I had a problem, but I need to change. Second step of change is always, okay, develop a plan to change, okay? How am I going to change? How am I going to think differently about what's happened to me? How am I going to speak differently about what has happened to me? Now listen, if you're there and your little wheels are turning and you're recognizing your your sin, and maybe you're just stuck like, man, (laughs) that Holy Spirit is just coming in and just dropping a bomb on you. Maybe you're beginning to pick yourself up a little bit and you're thinking, okay, okay, Here's how I'm going to move forward. If you're at one of those two places, I, I, just, I want to pause here and just encourage you with a couple, of, a couple of things. Number one, God does not love you less when you're at your worst. And He doesn't love you more when you're at your best. Amen? Ephesians 5.8 says, God showed His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you, therefore, uh, when you struggle, it doesn't change His love for you. When you struggle with bitterness, know that God died for that. And He died for that because He loved you. God loves you, and that doesn't change when you struggle with bitterness. Let me give you an example of this. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no one and nothing. Your bitterness, your pungent, awful, stinky bitterness that is causing people likely around you not to love you anymore, that doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. Amen? Isn't that good news? That even if you are at Walter White level of bitterness, you are not too far gone. God doesn't love you less when you're lugging around of heart of bitterness. Amen? Let me give you another just encouragement. He's with you empowering you to change. Because He loves you eternally and unconditionally, He is always with you and He's always for you. Again, I'm hovering Romans 8 here, but Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that good news? You see, this verse gets to the benefit of God's unconditional love and God's unconditional presence and eternal presence in your life. If He is with you and He is for you, then nothing can stand against you. He is there in order to empower you to change. So if this bomb just went off in your life from Ephesians 4, and you're beginning to Get your wheels turning on how to live a more faithful life. Be encouraged that the Spirit is with you to help you. Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Friend, if you're weak because of your settled anger, be encouraged that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. If Ephesians 4 just punched you in the mouth, if if you really identify with Walter White, then hear me, Put away bitterness. Develop a plan to put it away. But also be encouraged that out of His love for you, God is still with you and for you. He helps you change. He empowers you to live a more faithful life. Be encouraged. The Spirit is more powerful than your bitterness. Amen? (laughs) But what should we replace the negative list of vices with? Look at verse 32. We're to put away bitterness, but we're to pick up Christ likeness. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Put away bitterness, but pick up Christ likeness. Re- replace bitterness with three things kindness, tenderness, and forgiveness. These two verses hang together. And the way they hang together is the first verse, verse 31, is a list of vices. Verse 32 is a list of virtues. Verse 31 is the problem. Verse 32 is the solution. Verse 31 is how not to do it. Verse 32 is how to do it. No one gets out of this life uh, uh, without being hurt by the brokenness of the world. However, you're going, how you respond to it is either verse 31 or verse 32. Are you going to put away bitterness and, put and pick up Christ likeness? Picking up Christ-likeness, it's kind of in three categories here. It's kindness, it's tender-heartedness, and it's forgiveness. First, when, when embittering things happen to you, when you experience that inevitable brokenness of the world, respond with kindness rather than bitterness. Kindness is, is pleasantness, it's agreeableness. Kindness is this quality of being friendly and generous and considerate. It's about seeking what is Useful for someone's good. It's giving someone a soft word when maybe they deserve a hard word. Like it's it's being nice when it would be justifiable to be impatient. It's seeking what is good for the other person over what might be good for you. Jesus has tons of examples of kindness. If you remember from Luke eight, uh, there's the example of, of a sick woman. This poor woman is sick and and she's embarrassed by her disease and. So in, But she has this faith that if she could just touch Jesus, just touch His cloak, then she could be healed. So she shows up and there's a crowd kind of pushing in around Him. She kind of sneaks in and just touches His cloak and, and she's healed. And, and Jesus says that He feels His power go out from Him. And He asks, okay, who touched me? Of course, He knew who touched Him. But what's interesting is, is the disciples kind of become irritated by the whole scene. They're irritated at her sneaking up uh, on Him. But but then her response is interesting too. She actually becomes filled with fear. She's frightened. says she's actually trembling uh, over fear of all of it. And here's this tender moment that Jesus responds to her kindly and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus was kind and friendly and generous and considerate. Are you kind to people when they wrong you? Are you friendly to them when they irritate you? Are you generous when they inconvenience you? Who have you been bitter toward, that you need to be kind to right now? The second one from this list of verse 32 is tender-heartedness. Again, when embittering uh, things happen to you, when you experience the inevitable brokenness of the world, respond with tender-heartedness rather than bitterness. Like, um, like bitterness, it's ultimately a condition of the heart. Tenderheartedness is about uh, the, the state of your heart. So when our hearts are hard, it's evidence of this bitter, settled anger. Hard hearts become like this check engine light saying, hey, something's wrong here. When your soul is there, it's a check engine light saying, listen, your soul is actually supposed to be soft. There's a, there's a softness that it's supposed to happen. When bitterness is a hard heart, tenderheartedness is a soft heart. When when uh, wrath works for justice, tenderness works for mercy. Where, where anger works for a pound of flesh, tenderheartedness works for compassion. Jesus was tenderhearted all throughout the Scripture. One of the most famous examples of is from Matthew 19, where uh, these group of children come around to him. And once again, the disciples are irritated by the scene. If you're a Irritated disciple, today you're in good company. You would have fit in with that twelve. Okay, they were irritated once again. That these people were bringing these children around, it was distracting Jesus, was annoying Jesus. They didn't need to be around him. These vulnerable, annoying little children. But Jesus rebuked him for that. He he made time for them. He encouraged children in his presence. He was approachable to them. He was patient with them. He ministered to them. Who are you hard-hearted toward right now? How can you change? How can you become? Tenderhearted hearted toward them. What do you need to pray in order to change your heart? How do you need to ask God to help you be more tender-hearted? Are you praying for their good? That person who hurts you. Are you praying just you know fire bolts of judgment upon them, or are you praying for God's mercy on them? Do you need to be- what do you need to believe again about them in order to soften your heart? The third thing that he says about uh, putting on Christ-likeness is forgiveness. Again, when embittering things happen to you, when you experience the inevitable brokenness of the world, you're to respond with forgiveness rather than bitterness. Last week, we looked in depth at forgiveness, and we said that forgiveness is is releasing a debt. So when someone wrongs you, they owe you a debt. Now, now we see this in, in tangible ways, and this is probably the clearest way. When someone has destroyed some of your property, the relationship is not made whole until they spend money to replace your property. They owe you something. Something needs to be replaced. But you see this emotionally as well. When someone has wronged you, they owe you an apology. And you can hold that against them. They owe you that. There's a debt that they owe you. Forgiveness is is releasing them from that debt. And listen, last week we talked about that there's a categorical aspect to that. And, and there's a process to that as well. Categorically, when that happens, you, you you are to sit down and pray to God, God, I forgive them. I release them from the debt. They did this to me. It hurt me. It was wrong. And now I release them from it. But, but if you're anything like me, sometimes those things, even though you have categorically forgiven them, maybe those feelings come up again. Those memories Come up again. You feel it all again. You're angry again. In those moments, release them from the debt again. Just keep releasing them. Keep forgiving them as the hard feelings come. Resolve to keep forgiving and resolve to keep releasing the debt. Jesus, once again, is a great example of this. He powerfully forgave even while dying on the cross. Luke 23, we read, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide His garments. Here He was, forgiving them, dying for their sins. People who were lying about Him. People who were brutally abusing Him and torturing Him. People who were mocking Him. He had nothing. He had a cloak. And they were gambling over His cloak. They were stealing from Him. All while this is going on, His response is to release them from their debt. He forgave them even while dying. What is your deepest, hardest stone of resentment? Think of it. Who who has hurt you the most? Who are you the most frustrated with right now? Maybe even the person that you're most angry with right now. Think about how they've hurt you and compare it to the cross. Have they hurt you in ways that are worse than what those soldiers were doing that day to Christ? Is it worse than what they did to Jesus? Listen, I say it that way because who do you need to forgive today? What debt do you need to release? Put it in the context of the cross. I've been reminded in this series over and over again of Proverbs 4.32. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Is God, through Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, is He convicting you today? Friend, if He is, put away bitterness and pick up Christ's likeness. Replace the bitterness with kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. But how do we do it? Friends, how do we put it away? And and, um, before actually even working on this series, I I read a wonderful uh, book by a man named Robert Jones. It's called Uprooting Anger. Robert Jones is a great biblical counselor and does a lot with resentment and anger and bitterness. And in this book, Uprooting Anger, he gives seven steps for how to put away bitterness. And I've tweaked it a little bit, but let me just give you his seven steps on how to to put away bitterness. I find this very helpful. First, he says, see the sinfulness of your bitter heart. See the sinfulness of your bitter heart. You see, when you sense a hard heart, push into the problem. Don't, don't just rush past it or roll your eyes at it. When you, when you hear words flying out of your mouth that you know are not faithful, that are tearing down, confess your sin. Don't, don't just rush past it. Those feelings, those words are actually a check engine light to, to push into it. See the sinfulness of your bitter heart. Number two, turn from the sin of bitterness. And turn to Jesus. Believe that He fully forgives you. Listen, let the reality of that conviction prick your heart. Don't just rush past it. But also don't wallow in the shame of it. Receive Jesus' love for you. Rest in His forgiveness for you. Third, forgive your offender from your heart. Forgive your offender from your heart. If you're bitter about something, it's because something embittering has happened to you. And in, 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 in order to put it away, you need to release that person from that debt. Number four, resist the temptation to vent your bitterness. This one gets pretty darn real for me, okay? I, I'm, I'm a, I've been told I'm a verbal processor, and I don't think that's been told as a compliment to me, Okay? I'm a verbal processor. So when I experience the brokenness of the world, I talk about it. And then I keep talking about it. And, and listen, I used to think that, that that's healthy. Like I'm working it out. I'm getting it out. And in and, and Robert Jones's little book, it was helpful for me to see that actually what's going on there is as I keep talking about it, I'm fueling the fire and I'm, I'm hardening my heart. And this resentment is actually building as I'm talking about it. I'm not creating a tender heart the more I talk about it. So my venting actually keeps me from putting bitterness away. Therefore, that leads to the fifth step. Replace your lack of speech with godly speech. Because here, here's what I did with this. Okay, I'm venting, I'm sinfully, I'm just getting it out, I'm wiping everybody out around me with it. Okay, well, I'm just not going to say anything. Something bad happens to me, fine. I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm just going to hold on to it. That's not the right answer either. Okay? What he's saying here is, is listen, uh, uh, don't let that embittering experience, don't let it become this excuse to venture bitterness. But also with that speech, you've got to keep talking about it, but replace that speech with godly speech. See, uh, for me, I, I had to learn to, okay, communicate in different ways about some of these things. He, he goes on on this step. To, he then goes back to Ephesians 4 and he, and he outlines four um, rules for communication. Let, let me just give them to you briefly. I find this very, very helpful. From Ephesians 4.25, he says, when you communicate about these embittering things, be honest. Be honest about them. Don't lie about it. Be honest about it. If it hurts you, say it hurts you. But number two, from verses 26 and 27, he says, keep current. When you communicate, communicate about it, keep current. Third, he says, from verses 29 and 30, he says, attack problems, not people. That's good. When you communicate about it, attack problems, not people. And fourth, his fourth rule of communication is, act, don't react. And he looks at these two verses, 31 and 32, where he basically says, control your emotions. When that embittering thing happens to you, and you need to process it and talk about it. Do it in a way where your emotions are controlled. Put away your bitterness by picking up godly speech. Okay, he's got two more quickly here. Number six, pursue peacemaking and problem solving. In other words, putting away bitterness, it's about moving forward from your settled anger. So focus on restoring peace with that person if that needs to happen. Focus on fixing the problem. Focus on the future rather than dwelling on the past. And then number seven, he says continue praying and studying God's Word. You see, putting away bitterness, it requires a genuine walk with the Lord. And listen, maybe at this step, maybe this is a very helpful step for you. Like if you're just kind of floating along, not taking seriously your walk with the Lord, something like bitterness is about to jump up and eat your lunch in your life. If you're not genuinely walking with the Lord in prayer every day, honest, genuine prayer in God's Word, something bad's going to happen to you and it's going to wreck you. You're not going to have the relationship or the tools to fight. Romans 8.5 says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. What are you setting your mind on? He goes on to say, "But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the Spirit. In other words, putting away bitterness by replacing it with spirit filled, kind, and forgiving thoughts. Friends, God through Ephesians 4 is calling us to put away bitterness, to pick up Christ's likeness. And hear me, it is time. It's time. It's time to put it away. My. Um, Maternal grandparents, I think, have kind of a sweet love story. They grew up in in rural uh, southwestern Oklahoma, and they began dating seriously in high school. My grandfather is this tall, handsome man named Alton. His wife is uh, a young, pretty girl, dark hair, named Roberta. And about a year after she she was a a year younger, he was a grade ahead of Roberta. And about a year after they graduated, they got married. She was 19. He was 21. And about a year later, uh, their first daughter was born, my mother. And, uh, and I've always thought it's cute what Alberta and Roberta, um, I'm sorry, what Alton and Roberta named their daughter was Alberta. Whatever, it's, it's Oklahoma, okay? I've always thought it was cute. I, the more that when I've learned their names and kind of learned what they did, I, I thought it was kind of a sweet combination of their names. They were this cute little family, tall, handsome guy, farmer, Beautiful, dark-haired girl. And then they had this beautiful little red-headed baby. A couple years later, they had their second child. My uncle Jimmy was born. A boy, a girl. Just this life was good for this little family. If you saw them, they were a delightful little family. Roberta was 23. Alton was 25. However, suddenly, out of nowhere, Roberta got this strange, aggressive blood disease. And after a few days of just being violently sick at home, they finally took her to the hospital. Ten days later, she died. My mother was three years old and my uncle was three months old. Um, My mother has one very vague memory of her mother. It was her mother holding her and and all she could remember was her head in her dark black hair. I don't fault my grandfather for spiraling down. The the family, they had good families and they just, they stepped in to help and to love them. And, And my papa, in his crushing grief, he turned to alcohol and he turned to drunkenness. He was just drunk every day. He didn't know what to do. He was crushed in his grief. He he was just trying to to drink away his sorrows. But eventually, one of his uh, cousins finally stepped in. And and as my papa was sitting there at the kitchen table, disheveled another bottle of whiskey, just trying to drink his sorrows away, his cousin said, Alton, it's time to put it away. It's time. He came alongside him, put his arm on his shoulder and said, Alton, God has given you these two beautiful babies to take care of. They need their daddy. It's time to put it away. Alton, my papa, through his tears, he heard the counsel. He put it away. He actually never drank again. He focused on his kids. He focused on moving forward. Eventually, um, the people in the community kind of set him up with another lady in a, a nearby community, a single mother who had uh, lost her husband in the Korean War. They got married. They adopted each other's children, my Uncle David. Uh, they then had two more uh, children together, and they had this full and, and happy life together. I'm a church planter, so a bullet point that I'm always proud of is they were charter members of the Willow Park Baptist Church. Alton Moore had good days after Roberta's death, but it began when he put it away. Friends, it's time. It's time. Put it away. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love You. We feel the weight of this passage. Lord, as we feel the weight of Ephesians 4, and we also know that there's a a great gospel of grace behind it. Spirit, I ask You to come even right now. Move in our hearts in such a way to where we would repent and believe. That we would call our bitterness what it is and that we would just put it away. It's time. Help us to put it away. Restore our hearts. Make us happy and whole and healthy and hopeful again. Restore us again and help us to put it away in Jesus' name. We pray.